don't know what primary is in May of 2016 next year, but if I'm at one percent, I'll be there. From WNYC and New Jersey Public Radio, it's the Christie Tracker. If you really care about something, then you need to go all in. I don't know how many times you can stand up there and give a speech and be wrong. They don't want an answer from me. Sometimes people need to be told to sit down and shut up. I'm David First. Later in the show, we'll be joined by New Jersey Public Radio's Matt Katz and MSNBC's Steve Kornacki. They both wanted to go on the record defending the -the off-the-record history of the New Jersey Legislative Correspondents Club Dinner. The event set off some controversy last week when a member of the press leaked audio of Governor Christie's profanity-packed speech. Also today, after defending the governor's performance, Steve Kornacki shifts to David Wildstein, who Steve calls a great boss to work for. Yeah, that David Wildstein, like Bridgegate David Wildstein. But first, we're joined by Andrea Bernstein, senior editor for politics and policy for WNYC News, who has been digging and digging into the story of the chairman's flight. That's the nickname given to the infamous flight route that benefited former Port Authority chair and Chris Christie appointee David Sampson. Andrea, welcome back. Thanks, David. We've talked about this several times on the podcast, but very quickly, the chairman's flight. This is the since-canceled flight route from Newark to Columbia, South Carolina, uh, set up by United, allegedly so David Sampson could travel to his weekend home. Uh, This is a flight that was possibly added as incentive for the Port Authority to approve fee reductions United was asking for at Newark Airport? That's the question there, is was this flight offered to David Sampson in exchange for some official government benefit like a flight fee reduction, which United Airlines has been seeking and, in fact, uh, went to court to try to obtain back in December. Whether Mr. Sampson, chair of the Port Authority at the time, demanded or accepted this flight in exchange for offering a benefit which would have been worth many tens of millions of dollars to United Airlines. So that is what the U.S. attorney is looking at right now. And what my story looked at is whether this was part of a sustained campaign that lasted for years. Here's a short excerpt from uh, your latest report. In June 2013, United Managers gave $24,000 to Governor Chris Christie's re-election effort. Every thought. That same week, United's lobbyist met with Christie's top staffer at the Port Authority. Carefully planned, coordinated, and synchronized. In August, then-Deputy Executive Director of the Port Authority, Bill Baroni, since indicted for his role in Bridgegate, met for a steakhouse lunch with the United CEO. I'm Jeff Smizek, President and CEO of United Airlines. Welcome aboard. Have a great flight. At the core of all of this is the fact that United Airlines pays big money for these flight fees at Newark Airport. The company really wanted to find a way to reduce those fees, and uh, the Port Authority runs the airport. Right. That's right. And United Airlines went to court and said, this is so unfair. Our competitors at LaGuardia and JFK don't have to pay similar fees. Uh, And it's true. For legal and historical reasons, the fees are higher at Newark for, among other reasons, that it's not in New York. And uh, it's a much newer airport than LaGuardia or Kennedy airports, which were 
have many laws that uh, were grandfathered in for them uh, but don't apply to Newark Airport. And one of the things that I found out in my reporting is we know that United thought they had a deal. It's memorialized in an email that was sent in November of 2013 to Bill Baroni. He's one of the Bridgegate co-conspirators, the U.S. attorney has alleged. And this email said, thank you. It said, in essence, I'm paraphrasing, but it said, thank you for agreeing to address this inequity. That was uh, sent when he still was the deputy executive director at the Port Authority. Right. But what happened for United is that they didn't get to, to put together the deal because they asked Mr. Baroni for a whole bunch of statistics and calculations and formulas so that they could work out what the specific number should be. And while all that was happening, the Bridgegate scandal was blowing up. Baroni resigned. Wildstein, the other co-conspirator, the one who pleaded guilty, resigned. David Sampson receded from his operational role at the Port Authority. And all of these friends that United had carefully cultivated were gone. So, you know, ethics and legal repercussions aside, this sounds just like an example of terrible timing for Jeff Smizek, United CEO. He makes a deal with uh, the keystone cops of corruption at the Port Authority, and then boom, Bridgegate happens. Well, if you accept that United was justified in in seeking the lowering of its fees in the way that it did, yes, their timing was particularly terrible. However, what the U.S. attorney is looking at is whether there was corruption here. Andrea Bernstein, senior editor for politics and policy for WNYC News. Thanks again. Thank you. Chris Christie, use a man beast. I love it when you yelling at me on a TV. And as we're going to be hearing about the New Jersey Correspondence Club dinner coming up next, it seems appropriate that we should uh, transition with some musical mayhem. This is uh, Queen's rapper Aquafina and her song Daydreaming. And I don't blame you for the bridge gate, cause you are still the governor of my mid-range. I'm daydreaming about a man like that. This is the Christie Tracker Podcast. I'm David First. The annual New Jersey Legislative Correspondence Club dinner was held last week, and the -the off-the-record event was notable this time for getting tons of press. At the event, after enduring nearly 90 minutes of musical abuse almost entirely directed at him, Governor Christie joined in with the traditional festivities. He delivered a speech that most in attendance thought was funny, Yes, it was peppered with profanity, and yes, he tore into members of the press in attendance. We don't give a shit about this or about any of you. <laughs> so, is this an innocent event that should just be left alone, or because the guy at the center of attention at the dinner is a likely presidential candidate, is that just impossible? We're joined by New Jersey Public Radio's Matt Katz and by Steve Kornacki, host of MSNBC's Up with Steve Kornacki. Welcome. Thanks. Happy to be here. Steve, you were a political reporter in New Jersey for many years. You attended several of these dinners in the past. Can you give us a little history of this event, what it's all about? Sure. I mean, for the sort of audience that may not be familiar, I mean, the closest thing you can compare it to is the White House Correspondents' Dinner. That's pretty much what goes on at at this thing every year in in New Jersey. I I think it's a little bit more... 
you know, the, the back and forth between the governor every year and the press is a little bit more involved because you've got um, members of the press uh, get up individually and in groups and they perform skits and they perform perform songs that are are pretty mercilessly and relentlessly mocking the governor and, and other you know elected leaders uh, in the state, the people they have to cover. Uh, they spent the last year uh, covering, and then uh, the governor gets up and, and sort of it's like a roast, gets a chance to uh, you know as his sits there, you know, having people bust his chops for, for 45 minutes and then gets up and gets to respond. It's it, it just so, it was so interesting to me to read the, the, uh, the articles that have, that have appeared about this, talking about, oh, it was a tirade from Chris Christie and, and, and his profanity laced and all this stuff. And, and I, you know, pardon me for yawning, but I mean, <laughs> I was doing what he's supposed to do at that event. Just so you get a sense of the tradition of this thing, it's been going on since 1890, when, as you remember, Governor Robert Stockton Green was in Trenton. Matt Katz, uh, you were there. You performed. Is the national press uh, missing the spirit of the evening? Yeah, I think so. I mean, the first thing that I, I felt was missing from some of the, the coverage uh, was how sort of like dumb a lot of it is. I mean, I, I, did, I sang a song and I have my voice, as anybody there can, can attest to, is atrocious, called Pen Ben Rock to the tune of Elton John's Crocodile Rock. Pen Ben is pension benefits reform, a, a shorthand that nobody outside that room would even understand. Some of it, as always, uh, touches the line. And certainly some of the governor's comments uh, got close to the line and some of the songs got close to the line. But it is so hard to listen to a recording of a roast like that and then write a story about it and sort of understand the context. I think the coverage is fair game. Listen, he's the guy's probably definitely running for president. He does have animosity toward the media, much of which I think is unfounded. Um, and certainly that was portrayed in, in some of his colorful remarks. So I'm not like pissed at the national media for doing a story. I, I get it. But, you know, it, it had this, if not a um, set in stone off the record rule, there was sort of an understanding that this was between us. And I feel like because of the coverage over the speech last week, we're going to lose that. It's unlikely that the governor, A, would even show up again and B, would be as sort of blunt as he was this past year, particularly if he is actually a candidate for president. A public event like this, a room packed full of reporters with a likely presidential candidate making a speech from the stage. Steve, is it just unreasonable to think in our times now that an event like this can be off the record anymore? You know, I guess it is. I, I mean, I guess this is the, the, the sort of ultimate demonstration of it. And I, and I think I agree with Matt. I mean, it's not that, you know, it's not that, uh, you know, oh, my God, this is a, a horrible thing that somebody's gone and written about this. Um, I think what I object to just in, in reading about it, there was an initial report, uh, the, the new New York Times thing kind of followed up on that, but I, the the coverage of it I think fails to really tell people what this is and to even try to provide the necessary context for you know if you're if you're going to be printing some of these Christie uh, uh, quotes and if you're going to be it seems to me the coverage takes it way too literally right down to one of the headlines that talked about it you know a tirade it's it's shtick it's an act it's it's what uh, it's what he's supposed to be doing and, and the other thing is I just a big difference between this and the White House correspondence dinners the White House correspondence 
Adams dinner has has really blurred the lines between you know, celebrity and entertainment and, and and sort of pop culture and and political coverage. This New Jersey event is much more about the day to day working press um, you know, in a state where a lot of major media outlets, including the New York Times, you know, don't they don't deem the state worthy of that much coverage these days. Well, these are the reporters who are actually there every single day, showing up, doing the job, um, doing a lot of uh, a lot of great reporting during the year, not getting a lot of attention for it necessarily. And and this is sort of this is sort of their night. They get one night like this a year. Um, and yeah, I, I would feel bad if this were uh, if this were lost because of that. A lot of the coverage that I've seen is hyping something and intentionally ignoring context, and, and that bothers me. And I've never been to the White House Correspondents Dinner, but I actually think this is actually good for politics and policy and journalism in New Jersey. This is an opportunity where you have Democrats, Republicans, lobbyists, pundits, journalists, all sitting at the, literally at the same table together. There's a front table every year, and it's the governor, the Supreme Court chief justice. This year, the lieutenant governor was there, the legislative leaders from the other side of the aisle, and then uh, the journalist who that year happens to be the, the president of the club. They're all sitting together at the same table, breaking bread and drinking beer. And I think it's actually really good for us to see each other as human beings. MSNBC's Steve Kornacki and New Jersey Public Radio's Matt Katz. And we have time for a little bonus conversation today with Steve Kornacki. Before we wrapped up our chat, we had to ask Steve about his years working for Politics NJ, the political news site that is now called Politicker NJ, a site that was run by a then anonymous blogger. So, Steve, you worked for Politics NJ years ago. So you worked for David Wildstein, the guy uh, who founded the website, the guy uh, at the center of the Bridgegate investigation, the guy who's the Fed's prime witness. Uh, did you ever meet him? And Well, so I, I did meet him, sure. I, uh, uh, my story is in the uh, summer of 2002. Uh, I was up in, uh, in Boston looking for my first job out of school, and uh, or one of my first jobs out of school, and I, I found this listing on my school's career site for a, a website uh, in New Jersey, you know, covering politics, basically, you know, day-to-day politics in New Jersey. And it is, that concept of a, like a state-specific web-based political news site was brand new. There was no Politico back then. The, you know, web journalism was kind of in its infancy. Um, and it was, the site was anonymously owned and anonymously edited. And I um, uh, I had my interview for the job, believe it or not, on AOL Instant Messenger uh, in the summer of 2002. I mean, he was looking to have sort of a legitimate face on this thing, because he had great information, he had great sources, he had great reporting. The site had built a lot of credibility based on this, um, but he wanted somebody out there with a real name, a real face, uh, to have some accountability for it, so that was going to be my job. He told me up front at the beginning, he said, do you want to know who I am? We'll sit down and talk. And I said, well, this is a question that every single person I meet for the next however many years is going to ask me, and I want to be able to honestly tell them I don't know. So I, I for three years I had the job, I did not know who he was. After that, I ended up landing a job in D.C., and on my way out, I, um, I met him, and uh, met him at a, a, a steakhouse about two miles from the, uh, the George Washington Bridge, of all places. You know, I, we've stayed in touch for the years. I have not, I can tell you, like, I've, I've been in touch with him a little bit, you know, during this whole thing, but that it's strictly as a personal thing. I mean, I, I owe my career to the guy, and I, I just uh, checked in on him personally a few times in this, but I've not, I've not talked to him at all about the, um, 
uh, what's been going on here. So I'm, 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 I know as much or as little as you guys do about his role in the, uh, in the bridge uh, shutdown. This is a guy who obviously had a lot of inside information uh, during the time you were working for him. Do you, do you see him as a guy who has collected information diligently on uh, all of the players involved with uh, Bridgegate during the, the past several years? Well, I mean, he's got. I mean, he's got. Say, information. I mean, first of all, I, I never have met anybody. Certainly in New Jersey, I never met anybody with the kind of institutional knowledge of New Jersey state politics and government that, that David Wildstein had. But I've never met anybody in politics uh, with the kind of instant recall. I mean, he can do national politics just as well. But in New Jersey, I mean, he can tell you the balance of, of freeholder boards back in you know the 1860. I mean, it's it's crazy. He'll drop this. It's how he built. It's how he built his credibility. I mean, you know, uh, a lot of times. People read about him now, and he's described as a blogger, and, and there's a little bit of a, almost a pejorative there, I think, where it's a, he's just some guy spouting off, you know, without accountability online. And it, it, he built credibility by showing people, by showing the most influential people in New Jersey politics that he knew what he was talking about, and in a lot of cases that he knew more than they knew. And he earned their respect, uh, even though they didn't know who he was. Uh, he earned their respect uh, and earned their trust. Uh, and, and over the course of you know ten years there, there were very few people from the, the the highest levels on down in, in New Jersey politics who weren't in some way communicating with him, trading notes with him. Uh, and, and so, he, you know, he's got that built up. I, he doesn't, you know, I, I don't think he's he was doing that in some way to like build up information that he could someday use against people. But but it, it just it's true that over the course of 10 years, you know, he amassed an awful lot of contacts and an awful lot of information. So all your uh, uh, conversations with him have just been strictly off the record and, and not about uh, Bridgegate since then? Since then, yeah, no, I mean, I, and, and it's been, you know, it's been limited. But I, I mean, he's somebody. I, it's it's been a weird story for me to to deal with because he's somebody who who ultimately. I mean, I remember when I got hired at MSNBC full time, which was, uh, I guess, that would have been like June of 2012. So it's before all the bridge stuff happened. But I I made sure to write a note to uh, Wally Edge, David Wildstein, uh, telling him, look, I mean, I'm I'm not here today. Uh, I'm not getting this job today. I'm not where I am. If you didn't take a chance on me in the summer of 2002, and he had he had no reason to. I mean, I was a uh, you know I was a uh, nobody out of Boston University living in Massachusetts and uh, trying to convince him that I'd be worth taking a shot on, and and he did. And and um, you know I, I feel. Feel lucky about what's happened to me in my career, and I'm mindful that uh, I owe a lot of that to him. And he was—I'll tell you something else. He was a—I um, loved the three years I spent writing for that website. I loved it. It's, it remains the best job I ever had. And he was a—he was a great boss to work for because we, he knew the game of politics so well. If you got into a—if you were in a situation where you were in conflict with a campaign or in conflict with you know a press secretary or anything, he had your back. I can think of countless examples like that where he had my back and he knew exactly um, uh, what to say on my behalf and on behalf of our site. And um, so I, I have a lot of positive things to say about David Wildstein, and I know it's not necessarily what, what people know about him who've been following just the bridge story, but uh, but that's that's why it's been so weird for me because I, I have a strong kind of personal connection there. I'll put that near the top of my file of unlikely quotes. Quote, why David Wildstein was a great boss to work for. See? Yeah, I know. It's it's not the story you're going to hear uh, anywhere else. I know that. <laughs> well, that, there's got to be a few chapters of that in your book, uh, just on that in your book, Steve. I mean, just the, it's crazy, you know, working for an, a totally anonymous person. You don't want to find out years later that it was like John Wayne Gacy or something. I mean, it's just insane. Well, I, t- I mean, I, I spent three years in New Jersey convinced that I was working for a, a 75-year-old former 
statehouse reporter because the, right. the institutional memory was so specific and, and went so far back. I said, this has got to be, this could only be a reporter. And I remember the night I met him, he was probably 42, 43 years old at the time. And, and I, I, didn't, I didn't know the name David Wildstein. He comes up and introduces himself. Hey, Steve, David Wildstein. It's the first time I'd ever heard the name in my life. I didn't know he'd been the mayor of Livingston or anything. And, uh, and I just, I, this is the guy? Really? It was like a Wizard of Oz kind of thing, you know? MSNBC's Steve Kornacki, host of Up with Steve Kornacki. Thanks for speaking with us. Sure. The Christy Tracker Podcast is a production of WNYC and New Jersey Public Radio, thanks to associate producer Joseph Capriglione. Our theme music is by 29-Hour Music People. You can subscribe to the Christy Tracker Podcast on iTunes, you can like us on Facebook, and you can follow Matt Katz on Twitter at MattKatz00. That's Matt, K-A-T-Z. Or Andrea Bernstein at Andrea WNYC. I'm David First. Till next week, Governor, didn't you say you were going to declare by now? Stop. You have to get the facts right if you can ask me a question. Thank you.